Fast Money does start right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York's Times Square. I'm Scott Wapter tonight. Our traders on the desk, Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Steve Grasso, and Guy Adami. Tonight on Fast, check out After Hours Action tonight. FedEx and Oracle are both on the move. After Hours, the company's conference calls are kicking off right now. We're going to tell you what Wall Street is saying about those stocks. Plus, from production hell to delivery hell, Tesla investors have been in some kind of hell all year with the stock stuck in a bear market. So how far away is car heaven? We'll tell you what Elon's brother and board member just told us right here on CNBC. But first, we do start with the trade war taking down the market again today. President Trump expected to announce a fresh round of tariffs any moment. Elon Moy in D.C. with the details as we wait for that announcement. Elon. Scott, well, we are waiting for that to come out soon. The president had said it would come out after market close. My colleague Eamon Javers had reported earlier that we should be looking for a 10% tariff, but that number could potentially go higher. And President Trump gave a little hint of what was to come earlier today when he said a lot of money is going to be flowing into the United States. You're going to see on China today, uh, right after close of business, we'll be announcing something, uh, and it will be a lot of money coming into the coffers of the United States of America. A lot of money coming in. But you'll be seeing what we're doing uh, right after close of business today. The market's closing. Now, about half of the products on the original list of tariffs that was proposed over the summer were intermediate goods. About 29% was capital equipment, and about a quarter of the products were consumer goods, and that included popular products like Apple Watches and Fitbits. There have been multiple reports today that those products are now off the list and safe from tariffs. Now, businesses have been mounting an aggressive campaign to stop the tariffs in their tracks or at the very least slow them down. Scott, we will see if that's had any impact. Back over to you. Okay, Elon, thanks so much. Back with you as needed. And the markets certainly think the trade war is on. The Dow closing down more than 100 points. It's near the lows of the day. Tech getting hit the hardest today. NASDAQ falling about a percent. Guy Adami, what do you make all this? I guess it's coming to fruition. Yeah, well, on Friday you were here, and welcome back again. You know, the VIX closed at 12. Today it closed north of 13 and a half. So the VIX is finally saying maybe the risk is not priced in. And, and I'll say this again, and listen, they could strike a deal next week, and I'll look like a jerk, which I've done many times over the last not 11 years. <laughs> not because of that. Excellent point by you. I mean, they may not but my, my question is, why do you think the Chinese need to make any deal in the environment that we find ourselves in? I think... They have staying power, and they're in it for the long term. So I'm not – I think President Trump plays the same uh, – with the same set of rules that he's played with everybody. I think this is a much different adversary. Karen, uh, Kudlow today, Economic Club, and speaking to our Becky Quick earlier today, said they're just waiting on the Chinese to come to the table. And as Guy said, there's no indication at this point that they're ready to do it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I – one thing that really disturbed me today was him saying a lot of money flowing into the coffers. I hate that Trump looks at the trade war that way. To me, it is just a tax on the consumer. Somewhere along the line, we're getting taxed. Which, right? What happens if he which, took the consumer which goods the off the table? Which the former Somewhere. Larry Kudlow uh, used to say as well, that tariffs were a tax. Yeah. Yes, right. right. Yeah. I, you know, I don't think he's, he, he's not controlling the tax conversation, it seems. I mean, I, I'm not opposed to the idea of having a better tariff policy, or trade policy, rather. I'm not a fan of tariffs. We seem to have such a haphazard policy that it's really hard for companies to know what to do. So to me, that rightfully should be weighing on the market. I mean, even Office Depot today talking about from you're talking about consumer end products, uh, the cost of chairs, for example, uh, going up significantly right. uh, as a result of the tariffs we're already seeing. So but, there but is right. a broad impact. The bigger question, Steve, is 
What's the market impact going to be? What's the earnings impact going to be? The multiple, how is we all haven't of that seen impacted? that yet? We haven't seen the market true market impact yet, and we've seen these tariffs in talk, twenty five percent go down to ten percent. So in theory, it's it sounds like it's a negative headwind. I would say that the market should have already priced it in. It's surprising to me that Pricing the market. What, I don't think the market knows what to price in. That's well, the problem, it's discounted. Right? The, every time you see one of these tariff headlines go across the tape, you see the algos kick in and you see the market sell off. So I would have thought that 25% on the goods that we're talking about is already priced in. You thought 25 or 10? Because no, I think 25. It, that was the original statement, right? It was 25, and now he says 10. On so, 200 billion? Yeah. So I think no, I think I, it's I think at this point though that's got to be a win or at least a less of a headwind to the consumer here. And now, if they're taking 25% of it off the table on consumer goods, that's even more of a tailwind. So a negative situation that's getting slightly more positive. Well, I, I tell you what, I, I think that if 25% was priced in, the S&P would be you know, seven or eight percent lower. Um, because I think the bottom line is, I, I agree with you on the gamesmanship here. I mean, you know, I think 10% is going to come through here because there's no way they could get through 25%. And again, the back the backstory on these trade tariffs is that this is a supplemental investigation, which changes the entire timing of it. It forces these decisions to come out. There are laws that say this is what you have to do if this is, and there are, there's a timeline. So for people wondering why we are here, and ultimately, if you believe that the Chinese, and I think this is similar to people on the desk here, I think the Chinese have been laying back, and actually they're supposed to be sending someone to speak with Mnuchin, except for the fact that if 10% is tacked on another $200 billion, that guy might not ever show up. And I don't think that the Chinese are going to negotiate with fresh tariffs. Question is, or who, could has, be, who has the leverage in all right. this? You could, you could look at the, the broad decline in the uh, Chinese market and the Asian market and say, no, we have the leverage. Or you can flip it and say, well, the Chinese don't have to come to the table if they don't want to come to the table. So maybe they have the leverage. Right. So I, I would think that we still have the leverage. Even though they might be able to outweigh us, I don't think they want to. I don't think they, they serve any purpose. Is that what they're doing us. right now? Waiting? Well, they're waiting because they don't even know where he's coming at them from right now. It's been such a moving target. So are they waiting? Yes. But how, how much longer will they wait? I don't think this is going to be a four-year wait, a two-year wait, or wait till Trump is out of office wait. So I don't think that's the negative. Could be that a post-midterm wait. That would, at the, at the bare there's minimum. where they should have the leverage. But to Guy's point, the pushback is I think that he is softening behind the scenes to China, giving them reasons to actually get something done that we're not hearing about. My, my view is this is not even about the intermediate goods. I mean, Elon broke down kind of what's what, what's actually really at risk here. I think this is all about made in China 2025. I think this is all about supremacy of both the Internet and, and data and technology in this century. Therefore, I don't think we're going to solve this. I, I think both sides are going to dig it aggressively because both sides see this as a very strategic issue of national significance. Can you say that one of the reasons why the market gets in these modes where it spins its wheels a bit, even though, you know, you've got these five straight up days for the S&P, you look at the types of things that are leading the market, because we're still worried about trade. If you, if you, you can't really break out hard uh, to the upside because you're not really sure what the earnings impact is going to be on various sectors. Flip side of that yeah. is though we're 1% from the all-time high, and the market's just basically gone up for the last 10 years. I, I can make an argument. To, I think what you, Tim, said, we should be down 8 to 10% just from the rhetoric we're hearing, and we're not. So the market trades Because the economic well. fundamental story right. is so strong. Right. The, Why it, wasn't CapTractor no down today? Why wasn't Boeing down today? Why wasn't the FXI down more today if it was all trade? Which I came in on the opening thought it was all trade, but that doesn't mean to me when you saw the market action that it was really trade that was leading the market lower today. I don't know in any one given day why it wasn't down, but the concerning thing to me is 
couple of things in this economy. We have real, we have a really great economy. But the other thing that, it, that, that has allowed Trump to have such a strong economy is businesses feeling better and more secure about the environment, whether it's pro-business or anti-business versus prior administrations. Now that that's being clouded because we don't know what our trade policy is. That, to me, is a threat to the market. I don't know what today, but in the future it is. Good thing we have a, another voice to add to the conversation tonight for the past two months. We're not doing it here. Yeah. Morgan <laughs> Stanley has been sounding the tech alarm. More the voices, the better. Uh, sounding the alarm bells here on Fast Money and on the Halftime Report. Take a listen. Well, all we're calling for is an exhaustion of this move. We downgraded tech two weeks ago because all these stocks are up so much. I mean, we've seen derating across the various markets with the exception of two sectors, technology and then consumer discretionary, which you all were just talking about. And we think that those sectors are ripe to you know, have a correction. Well, let's bring in Mike Wilson. He's the chief U.S. equity strategist at Morgan Stanley. Uh, it's good to see you. That kind of made a lot of sense. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, OK, so you got two issues. Um, you got the tech issue, which I want to talk about in a minute. But first off, what do you make of the market reacting to all these trade headlines or, or not reacting yeah. more dramatically? Well, look, the market was already kind of going that direction before you know, the thing came out this afternoon. There's going to be some announcement. OK, there's two. I think there's two ways of thinking about this. Number one, I still feel very confident that that idea that tech and consumer discretionary, are the two sectors that still need to derate. OK, that's one way to think about this. And that's what's going on. And we're finishing that move. The second way to think about this is maybe you're right, Steve. Maybe this is a softening. Right. Trump is pretty good at setting the, you know, the thing over here and then he, he orchestrates a win in the middle. And if the market's perceiving that to be less onerous, well, then you should rotate out of the, the gross stocks back to the industrials and some of the things that already got hit. That's why FXI didn't get hit. That's why CAT didn't get hit, because they already did. They got hit earlier in the year on fear about trade, and everybody ran into the gross stocks as a safe haven. And that's really our call this year, is that that, you know, that divergence between the U.S. and the rest of the world can't persist. It's not like cyclicals, though, are killing it lately. It's been a defensive-led move lately. That's right. So people are cramming into defensives and growth stocks because they're the safe havens in a world of lower growth. That's what you want to own, which is why we rotated towards defensives in June and we downgraded tech in July. And I think that's working. It's just it's not working as homogeneously as people would like to see at the index level. But look below the surface. There's been a lot of damage in tech since Facebook missed in July. Right. I mean, not just Facebook across the board. When you use the term derate, give me a little more color of what, what is derating? Is it materially changing your allocation? What does that mean? No, derating just means evaluation is coming down. So this, yeah, this year, the S&P is down 9 percent. P forward P's are down about 9 percent. The average P.E. is down about 15 percent, the average stock. Tech and consumer discretionary are up on the year. Their P.E.s are still up on the year. That divergence I don't think is sustainable. It doesn't make sense because the reality is if we get a 25 percent tax rate, even if we get a, a 10 percent tariff on, on $200 billion, it's going to be right at the consumer. And so I don't mm -hmm. think I think those two sectors are the ones that are the most vulnerable, tech and consumer yeah, discretionary. You don't think it's all that short lived given your target being one of the lowest for the S&P, 27.50. Correct. That's a 12-month target with a range. We, we have a bear and bulb case of 2,400 to 3,000. Because you've got to go back to the beginning of the year. Our, our view is that we had discounted a lot of this big global reflation idea from 2016. We wrote about that today. And remember last year, Scott, we were very bullish on to 17. That happened. And we just felt like a lot of things got priced into January. So we think we're in a consolidation. It could last 18 months could last 24 months, and that range is 2,400 to 3,000. So we suspect we're going to revisit the low end of that range sometime in the next 12 months. I don't know when, but that range to us has served us well. You, you, and this is an area where you should be lightening up 
on some of your beta. Well, are, you, are you underestimating, though, the ability to make a trade deal? What do you think a deal with China's worth? Well, it depends on what it is. Okay. Now, if they can, anything the market perceives to be positive, your price target likely gets blown up. Not necessarily, because think about this. If there's a trade deal that's not a disaster, okay, it's, 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 everybody can live with it, okay? The reality is, is that mon money is concentrated into the U.S. because everybody's afraid of trade. So if you make a deal, what's going to happen? Where's the opportunity? It's overseas. That, these stocks in the U.S. are going to have to be sold to buy the things overseas. I don't think the U.S. stock market leads. I think you go but right back to EM and you go right back to some of the stuff that's levered to global trade. But, but do you think that that's really been the delta in the U.S. stock market has been that marginal dollar that's gone away from Europe and EM? Because uh, you, you could make an argument. If it's a zero-sum game in terms of global allocations, absolutely, where you want to be. Right. Um, but it seems to me that the U.S. is going to do well when things are poor around the world, and it's going to do even better when things are great everywhere. Yeah, I'm not saying that things are a disaster in the U.S., right? That's why I don't think it'll collapse. However, if there's a trade deal, okay, and things are better, and the economy continues to roll, I mean, look, next year, 19, no matter what happens, 19 is not going to be a great year for earnings growth, relatively speaking, okay? We're going to see a major deceleration in the U.S., going from sort of low 20s, probably to mid-single digits, best case, okay? That's, that, that money's going to have to leave the U.S. to better opportunities around the world. Well, you're fighting against, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a contrarian view. I mean, there is a broad view out there that emerging markets, maybe Europe, falling knife. I mean, especially the EMs, which have gotten obliterated. That's right. They've already been priced in a lot of bad news, Scott. So, look, the, the one scenario where EMs got to go down more is that, let's say this trade thing really, really gets squirrely and the dollar gets even stronger because people even cram further into the U.S. We could have, you know, a, a real, you know, acceleration in this sell-off, but believe me, the U.S. will get caught in that boomerang if that's where we're going, okay? And that's why these two sectors, in particular tech and consumer discretionary, are the ones that still have to derate or, or see their valuations come in. Once that happens, by the way, then we can actually move forward, I think, in a much more constructive manner. Always appreciate your point of view. It's good to see you. You too, Scott. All right, Mike Wilson, Morgan Stanley. Let's, we can trade it. Courage of his conviction. And I'm so, so what he, effectively what he's saying is the trade here, almost regardless, is emerging market weakness. It's probably everything's priced in. You buy it. And the mean reverting trade is the S&P at a certain point catches up to the weakness of EM. That's what we've been talking about in terms of outcomes. That's a potential outcome. 2,400 is 15% or so from here. I think under worst case scenario, you could I, absolutely see that. I tell you what, I, you know, I'm an EM guy. I just don't see it, you know. And if anything, I think there's a risk to the dollar going higher out of a solving of the trade news as the differentials get bigger in this country. And I think the dollar could rally uh, on a flight to quality. So I, I worry about China. They're the biggest waiting. Not, China's not going to fall apart. They can do whatever they need to do to stimulate, but they're the biggest waiting in EM. I'm not running back in. All right, coming up, Elon Musk's little brother, Kimball, speaking out to CNBC moments ago. We'll tell you about what he said. What he didn't say Whoa, about Tesla that has that? all of Wall Street talking. Plus, first it was Constellation Brands. Now it might be Coca-Cola trying to get a piece of the marijuana industry. The next phase of the cannabis craze might surprise you, though. The cannabis king himself, Mr. Tim Seymour, breaks that down. Plus, Guy Adami stepping up to the plate tonight to tell us the one name he says was left for dead and poised for a turnaround. We're live in Times Square tonight. There's much more Fast Money right after this break. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla board member and Elon Musk's little brother, Kimball Musk, on closing bell moments ago, commenting on Model 3 deliveries and the Tesla CEO's recent actions. Take a listen. This, this month is, a, is an exciting month for us. You know, the, uh, 
it's really going to blow people's minds how many Model 3s are going to appear in America in just the next couple of weeks. My guidance is focus on deliveries and getting as many Model 3s into customers' hands as possible. Was Kimball heading to like a, 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 a Western or something? And where, where is he going? Kenny, Rod, Kenny Rogers? I don't know. Sorry. Maybe. Well, meanwhile, if uh, I could con yeah, no, continue the now. Now. Thank you. Uh, Elon Musk himself acknowledged that the automaker has now shifted from, quote, production hell to, quote, delivery logistics hell with its Model 3 sedans. This in a tweet on Sunday night in response to a customer complaint about the delivery delay. So as things get more hellish, so to speak, for Tesla, what happens to Tesla investors? Timmy, I'll come back to you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I really was also trying to think of Willie Nelson was really the concert I was wanting. We didn't have all night for you to Bottom line is, look, <laughs> get there. I, I think the key for me on the Model 3 is ramping up deliveries at a time when that's really what it's all about right now is the biggest challenge for a company that's never been operationally able to do anything it said it was going to do. It's not about a great idea. It's not about whether this is a fantastic car and that there's very many loyal uh, users and enthusiasts. Bottom line, huge competition. Forget to me, the Elon insanity of the last two months. This is about fundamentals, whether this car is the only player out there in a market that I think is very crowded. Well, what about the secured financing, though? That, that to me, was where I stopped believing in the story or stopped believing that been it was going to be a Tesla tailwind. for a while, right? I, I was long. I clipped. It was 12%. I clipped a profit on it. But I, but I actually took some back because I wrote it way too long. So I was, I was up over 20%, and I started giving them the benefit of the doubt, as I have been for quite some time. And to me, it's now the credibility issue where I believe he was the tailwind in the story. He had to be there, a significant bullish mark, and now he's become the bearish mark in the stock. There's all headwinds that are coming out of Elon Musk. Karen and I were, were watching the interview and, and talking you know, backstage, if you will, uh, about the most interesting thing of the interview was what he didn't or wouldn't say. And, and that was the fact that, you know, he was asked point blank as a board member about some of the issues that have been around the company lately. And, uh, you know, he should be signed by an NFL team because he's a good punter because uh, he wasn't w willing to answer anything yeah, regarding that issue. Yeah, he deflected every question. Uh, you know, I'm not a shareholder, but I think good for you for saying, all right, I'm in it for a reason. That reason doesn't hold water anymore, so I got to get out. doesn't matter where, that it was higher at one time. It's, it's really disappointing that a director, I know it's his brother, doesn't seem to care whether they have any control over the CEO or not. God, give Remember me a football the, metaphor now. Well, no, I'm going to give you a movie for. metaphor. Right. Remember right. Casino, great movie, Robert great De Niro. Yeah. Remember Robert De Niro was forced to employ one of the nephews of one of the gaming commission guys, guy with a big <laughs> cowboy hat that didn't know what he was doing, but he made him head huh. of the floor, and the guy was a disaster. I'm still with you. Go ahead, keep going. <laughs> That's what that looked like to me. Now, green it. I encourage you folks... <laughs> I'm telling you, go back and watch Casino tonight. You'll know exactly. So you'd what rather I'm have a CEO about. smoke pot than that than that hat I, I from would, a board member. Given the choice of the two, <laughs> I'd rather look. have Elon like smoke and weed. Look. I'm surprised he doesn't They're have a bolo tie They're both legal, though. They are both legal. Yeah. <laughs> in the state where they... I happens. think the key is, let's go back to... I, I think the pocket's collapsing right now. I, I think the reality is that this is a guy that had a lot of room to work, and that, that, that is gone. He, he's missed the receivers. He's can missed he, the can targets. he scramble? He can <laughs> scramble, but I tell you what, he might get thrown for intentional grounding because that's exactly where I think we are right now. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, that's a personal foul on you. All right, for more on what Kimball Musk said about his brother, Elon, and the state of Tesla, head over to CNBC.com. In the meantime, here's what else is coming up on Fast. 
to buy the world a home and furnish it with love. And perhaps some pot, too, as Coca-Cola is reportedly looking to partner with pot companies. But Tim Seymour says there's another industry that's a better bet to jump on the cannabis craze. He will break it down. Plus, Fast is going Hollywood in search of the companies that could profit from tonight's Emmys. That's when Fast Money returns. Uh, welcome back to Fast Money. Another big potential pot deal as Coca-Cola explores a partnership with Aurora Cannabis. Let's get to Aditi Roy in San Francisco for those details. Hi, Aditi. Hi, Scott. Coca-Cola may soon be giving you a different kind of jolt. We saw shares of Aurora and other cannabis companies soaring after Coke announced that it is eyeing the growing cannabis drinks market. In a statement, Coke said, we are closely watching the growth of non-psychoactive CBD as an ingredient in functional wellness beverages around the world. The space is evolving quickly. No decisions have been made at this time. Aurora, on the other hand, says it has expressed specific interest in the the infused beverage space, and we intend to enter that market. There's been a lot of speculation since Constellation's $4 billion investment into canopy growth and Molson Coors Canadian unit partnering with the Canadian cannabis producer last month. And industry watchers are asking, who is next? Cowan saying today, beyond Coca-Cola, we would not be surprised to hear of a deal from PepsiCo as well, with CBD seemingly a good complement to their market share leading Gatorade franchise. Note that the chatter is around CBD, which is a cannabis compound that is non-psychoactive, so unlike THC, it doesn't get you high. One investor in the space, Greg Smith, with Evolution Advisors, tells me the possibility of Coke delving into pot shows how many of these legacy companies are now racing to grab a cannabis partner, and they can provide scale, credibility, and capital to help accelerate their paths to market. Cowan also naming Tilray and Afria as other likely targets of consumer packaged goods companies. Scott, back to you. Okay, Aditi, thank you so much. All right, let's trade it, Tim. Well, look, you are up first. Yeah, I mean, bottom line here is I think there's a lot going on in this sector, and it's going to continue to play out that it's not just the substitution effect for the liquor companies and the beer companies that are running into the sector. And that's the story with Coca-Cola. Why, why would you do, if you're Coca-Cola, why come out with this before you have a deal? I, does it make everybody more expensive to have a deal with, or are they sort of going to try to... Can they get that much more expensive? Oh, well, that's true. But, but Or they do they try to get them to compete for the Coca-Cola deal. I don't know. It's odd that they would come out with it before it's... I don't know. I, I think you have to own a bunch of these different names. I'm in Canopy and I'm in Kronos. And it always seems like there's going to be another headline out. They're all defending tremendous market caps at this point. But we've seen pharma get a little disrupted. We've seen beverages get a little disrupted. You're probably going to see the uh, consumer space get a little disrupted. And, and that, that, to me, is where it's going. Estee Lauder is probably, and there's a lot of names, and Estee Lauder is probably going to pick one. Okay. Well, Timmy, you're looking at another industry that could uh, soon join the craze. Why don't you head over to the plasma, break it all down for us? Yeah, so, so what's really interesting about this, Scott, is, again, Coca-Cola is not going after the psychoactive side, the psychotropic side, and the, that which is competing with the beer companies and the alcohol companies. And, in fact, ultimately, if you can see, I just want to point out the various sectors that I think are all exposed to this trade. So you talk about waking up one day where there's a new strategic. That's the beauty of a new asset class when, in fact, all the subcomponents to me are ones where you could actually have, uh, I think, Major involvement. We talked about pharma. Okay, so obviously, it's actually when you get into Crohn's and cancer and epilepsy and all the places where we see 
pharma companies that are going to be having substitution effects to opioids, et cetera. Wellness, this is really about creams, lotions, ways to actually live a better lifestyle, a CBD regimen, consumer products. That really gets you into the alcohol and all the other elements of what's going on here, um, whether it's Diageo or other big brands that are seeing substitution. Lifestyle, that could also mean you know, effectively hemp clothing and hotels, tech, the data around this and all of it. So what does it lead to? It leads to we possibly have a place where other companies are, yes, jumping on the bandwagon. So who might be jumping through? Well, first of all, again, the story today was about Coca-Cola. They are not fighting off necessarily substitution effect. Yeah, we've seen that in CSD, but they've been going into energy drinks. By the way, would you rather be pepped up or cooled down? That's really the story. It might even be a bigger market. We know about Constellation Brands. Boy, didn't they get this whole thing whipped up? And ultimately, Molson Coors was right in there early. They are talking about infused THC beverages that actually would be a substitute for beer. But who are some of the other guys that are worth interesting? Well, look, ultimately, I think Starbucks is a name. This is a very progressive company. Coffee is a place where Costa, Coca-Cola owns them. They could also be applying THC, but probably more likely CBD. And Amazon, if you look at some of the companies in Canada that are already trading up on their valuations, it's the guys that are making up the retail distribution. And electronically, that is one way to do it. So I throw those names out there. J&J, J&J Labs in Canada is doing a lot of work where a lot of big U.S. pharma companies cannot yet. I think they are ahead of the curve. So those are companies. Let's just talk about the guys that could be in the on-deck circle, because as we pointed out here, Every day you wake up, someone new wants to be a part of it. It's not just one part of the sector. It's a multi-pronged strategy for many different sectors. Is the ex I'm a believer, by the way, Tim, and great job with the bandwagon. You put it all in that. You could use a hat. Had to be had that hat. Tim had the hat. Everybody in. But my question is, is the existential risk to the entire space that the, the Trump administration or any administration puts a kibosh on this entire thing? Well, first of all, guy, this is a global market. And, and if you look at the size of the global market, we really don't have any idea. I mean, I brought up the fact that clothing and furniture made out of hemp, which is just completely a, a different way to get exposure here. But, but yeah, look, part of the excitement is the sense that the horse has left the barn and legislatively what we're going to see at the midterm elections and more likely in the 2020 elections, I don't know when they're going to deschedule or decriminalize or get to a place where it's federally legal or where you can even bank it. But the bottom line is it's moving ahead of that. Coca-Cola doesn't need to be in this sector tomorrow, but they are a global company. They are someone that knows how to invest in a world without borders. They are somebody that will be ready when that time comes, and they're moving now. All right. Come on back over here, Timmy. Coming up, here's where we stand with the earnings movers after hours. FedEx and Oracle both are falling. We'll bring you the latest from the calls, tell you why that is happening next. Plus, Guy Adami pitching one stock that's gotten crushed after its earnings report. He says it's poised for a turnaround, though. Much more Fast Money is next. Welcome back to Fast Money. FedEx and Oracle both are lower following earnings. Conference calls are about halfway through, so it's time for an earnings whip. Leslie Picker, Josh Lipton have the very latest word from Wall Street on the results. We start with Leslie back at our headquarters. She'll reveal what the street had to say about FedEx. Les. Hey, that's right. A beat and a raise. That's what the market was expecting heading into FedEx's earnings report today. And Scott, they fell short. While the company raised their EPS guidance by about 20 cents, FedEx missed on the bottom line for their first quarter. And that's why the stock has been choppy and now uh, down about 3.5% in after hours trading. I spoke with a few Wall Street analysts who are urging investors not to panic, though. 
Donald Broughton of Broughton Capital told me that this company has a reputation for issuing conservative guidance. So any raise in guidance is actually pretty positive news for the company. Now, Broughton also pointed out that volume growth continued to outpace the economy, meaning that FedEx grew market share in all of its divisions. I also spoke with Seaport Global's Kevin Sterling, who pointed to some of the weakness in FedEx's operating margin, indicating that there were a few costs that were higher than the street was expecting. The cost of fuel, for example, that alone jumped more than 40% year over year. Now, the call, as you mentioned, has been underway for about a half hour at this point. Areas of interest have included FedEx's impact from tariffs and even their use of blockchain, Scott. Leslie, thank you very much. Leslie Picker on FedEx. Let's trade that first, then we'll go to Josh Lipton with Oracle. I would not run far from FedEx. I think this first quarter, the visibility wasn't great going into the number based upon also the really easy comps on the first quarter last year with the TNT hack, et cetera. Um, higher comp numbers, but they, you know, the full year should be in line here, and I think this is one of the great companies that benefits from this economy. They raised full year. I mean, they, they missed this revenues beat. They missed by 34 cents for the quarter, but they raised full year by about 12 cents if you really do the math. So if you just go off the full year raise... Given the valuation, I'm surprised the stock is lower. I think people are reacting to the EPS miss, but I think you got to read more into it. You expected the beaten raise. You got the raise. But they did say that they, uh, last time around, or they intimated that there was not that big effect from tariff issues and, and whatnot. You have to remember the corporate tax rate, theirs went from 35% to somewhere in the uh, probably low to mid-20s. So I think that's a tailwind. And to the raise part, they must see something tremendously positive coming down the pike in the next couple of months. So I'd still be a buyer. All right. I agree with all those guys. I think this is a great company. Maybe it was a little ahead of itself going in. But the amount of the raise, it's not like it was a super high flyer multiple that they can't sustain. So it seems excessive how much it's down. It's all an right. opportunity. Analysts also buzzing about Oracle's earnings results. Turn it over to Josh Lipton now in San Francisco to break that down for us. Hey, Josh. Scott, I checked in with a few analysts to get their hot take on Oracle's results. Let me bring those to you. Joel Fishbein over at BTIG telling me overall revenue, cloud revenue, and cash flow were slightly below expectations. Another quarter that shows their inability to appropriately guide the street and execute. Need to wait for the call for guidance, but stock reaction and aftermarket shows very low confidence, even though the shares are very cheap relative to the rest of the market. I also checked in with Steve Koenig over at Wedbush. Here's what he had to tell me on a constant currency basis, Oracle can argue that it met expectations, but this market has no patience for any misses from tech companies, no matter how minor or how explainable the miss. Add to this, the setup for Oracle shares is challenging because the stock has climbed from 43 post that week Q4 to over 49 at the close today. And finally, Pat, Pat Walravens at JMP saying, one interesting metric is that the platform and infrastructure business, which is basically database, accelerated from negative 3% to 2% on a constant currency basis. Meanwhile, the applications accelerated from 4% to 7%. On the call, Oracle Software Cats giving guidance here, Scott. Total revenue, she says, growing from 0 uh, to 2%. Non-GAAP EPS, she's calling for between 77 and 79 cents. That was a bit conservative relative to expectations, Scott. All right, Josh, thank you very much. Josh Lipton in San Francisco, that stock's about down uh, a little more than 3%. Who's got the trade on this one? 
I think the market is saying they'd rather own Salesforce.com than Oracle right now. I mean, I don't think it's about valuation. It's about growth, and you're just not seeing it. Oracle basically has been sideways to slightly lower since peaking in March, and I think the market wants companies that are growing despite valuation, which is why I think Salesforce continues and to work. And even Oracle's you know, I mean, Adobe stuck in the mud. Yeah. Oracle's thunder as well. So. I, I, again, I think Oracle was such a consistent, proven name for, for two or three years into Salesforce, really taking the mantle. Uh, I wouldn't chase Oracle here. Uh, you know, when, when you look at the, the whole space, the whole landscape, when you start to see these names like Twilio, Roku, Etsy, when you start to get out of those big names and then you're in names that are year-to-date up over 200%, names that we don't talk about on an everyday appearance on Fast Money, these are the names where you're starting to see a lot of the love go. But to Guy's point, CRM, up 51% year-to-date. Application software, cloud, CRM. That was my first question was going to be about that, but then he went there anyway. I mean, that, I'm that in is, your head. That is the biggest thing. You know but but that, that says everything, there. though, right? It is a so sales no force. Nobody. Nothing. Nobody. It's a sales force stealing the thunder story. At least it has been lately. We think they sucked the oxygen out of the room. SAP, which is in a, a, a lateral position, is only up 6% year to date. It's got a, a little more volatile chart than Oracle. Oracle seems to be building a base. But if you're missing on cloud or you're disappointing on cloud, it's not a buyable stock. All right. Coming up, Netflix is going to the Emmys 112 times to be exact. Exact. The streaming service stealing the show in nominations this year. So what will the night bring and how will the stock react? Got those details straight ahead. Plus, Guy Adami stepping up to the plate. Give us a fast pitch. Yeah, Guy. What stock is he cooking up tonight? That's a hint. Really, really working Plus up more that fast ball. is next. <laughs> time now for an instant replay. Three months ago, Guy said it was time to bet on nuanced communications. Recent acquisition tells me maybe all the bad news is in the rearview mirror. Valuation is reasonable. Market cap is such that they could be picked up by any number of suitors. That was the bull case for Nuance five years ago. I think that might be the bull case for Nuance now. Okay, all right. Good call. Nuance shares up 17% since then. So what do you do with the stock now? Well, if I was smart, which, as I pointed out earlier, I'm not, I would say take the money and run here, Scott. But I still think there's upside here. A lot of analysts will downgrade on the back of valuation. That's a call that they made for the last 15, 20 percent. I think you stay with it, in my opinion. So you're going to let it ride? Is that a game? That, that should be a game, like huh. let it ride or, in or, my opinion. or off to the side. You think you'd be able to figure that game out, guys? No, because I'm Sometimes not, good at, tough I'm not good at the games. You want to give us another pitch now? Is that what time. we do now? Is it, well, you actually up, have to Scott. get up Hopefully and do it? Hopefully my cables okay. behind me don't get caught in the chair. So this is going to be a tough one. And I guarantee the home audience, this is a 75% against. This is Tony Braxton times 10. But I'm going to pitch Kroger. And I'm glad I'm doing it now post-earnings because Kroger had a huge run. Recall... Kroger got smoked after Amazon came in for Whole Foods. Probably made sense at the time, but I think mistakenly left for dead. And the stock went from 22 all the way back up to 32. Just reported earnings. Earnings were not a disaster. EPS was basically in line. Revenues basically in line. Margins were down from last year, but margins were still on the operating side, about 2%. So, again, not a disaster. Partnership with Alibaba. Pretty interesting stuff. And then recently, over the last couple days, now look, this probably doesn't appeal to me. They're getting into the clothing business with something called Dip. Unfortunate name, I know. Needless to say, a lot of analysts are sort of bullish on the back of that. So I think with the earnings sell-off, with valuation, Alibaba partnership, the fact that the stock was, in my opinion, mistakenly left for dead, and I think they are in the midst of a turnaround, 
I think Kroger actually works here at 29 bucks. Plus, on a lousy tape today, that stock was actually higher. That, to me, is a bit of a tell. Guy, what do you do with the fact that, that most of these guys in the staple space are competing with most of these guys? And, and that there's really only two places that are going to win. One's going to be Amazon. One's going to be Walmart, in my view. Yeah, I think that's true, but it's such a huge space. I don't think they're just two winners. I think there can be other winners along the spectrum. I'm not saying Kroger is going to go from 29 back to $50. I don't think that's happening, but I think there's a real opportunity for Kroger to trade from here, 29 bucks up to 34 35 And percentage-wise, that's a significant move. Remember, Target was left for dead for a long time as well, and that stock has gone from 52 to 80 and change. Again, I'm not suggesting you're going to see a similar move, but I just think too many of these stocks are supposedly Amazon. I don't think Kroger is. All right. So, Guy, Guy, how much of the of impact that you've seen in this last dip of 15% that we recently saw on the charts that you pointed to, how much of that is the negative uh, reflection of Alibaba and the China trade that's weighing on it where you would think the partnership with Alibaba should be a tremendous tailwind? Yeah, I think the partnership with Alibaba in the long run would be a tremendous, but, you know, with Jack Ma retiring or whatever he did, I think obviously that's putting some headwinds instead of tailwinds. But I'll say this. You're talking about a stock that went, again, from 22 and a half up to 32 prior to earnings. I think what you saw post-earnings with people taking a profit and using that as a reason to sell the stock, which I totally get, but I think it's too much too fast on the downside. All right. No more questions. Time to vote. What do we think? Are we buying guys fast pitch? Timmy. No. No, hey guy. Love you, buddy. Oh, uh, nice. you, you, you know, but bottom line here is nice I just don't think this space is a place I want to be. I, I, there's just way too much com competition. We're overstored. If anything, Walmart has to win by competing on price. And that's what's been negative for all these other guys. Karen? Uh, very similar. See that tiny little cell? Uh, that's in the margin because the margin's nah. so thin Ooh. here. And then there's this competition, this Ooh. shark. Very similar to what Tim said. Brutal so far. Lumpy, afraid of the space. <laughs> I, I went a different way. I'm going to go with a buy because technically when you look at it, it should bounce. It bounced actually where, right where it should have Great bounced. Great creative signing. Right? Yeah, I mean, this is, had I known we were going to be quizzed on this, this is Great crazy. artwork. It's kind I of mean, a long pitch. So it, it bounced right where it should have. It bounced at the, at the basically the 100-day moving average. Keep it on a short leash, but I do think you have some uh, upside. You know who failed finger painting. Good job. <laughs> well done. All right, so would you buy Kroger on Guy's pitch? How's we it going so far? Oh, not Vote so good. in our poll. Oh, oh, no. It's on CNBC Fast Money right now. We're going to reveal the results later in the show. Coming up, take a look at the Kramer cam as well. Our sneak peek into the Mad Money studio. Jim is talking retail tonight where he sees the most strength in that space. That's coming up at the top of the hour. Don't go anywhere. We're live at the NASDAQ market site, and there is much more Fast Money straight ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. It's the biggest night in TV. The 70th annual Primetime Emmy Awards set to air tonight on NBC. The big question this year is if Netflix will dominate the evening. Julia Borston in Los Angeles with a look. Julia. Well, Scott, for the first time, Netflix has surpassed HBO's nominations, ending its 17-year dominance of the awards show. Now, this year, Netflix drew 112 nominations, topping HBO's 108 nominations, followed then by NBC with 78, FX with 50, CBS with 35, and then ABC with 31. Now, a sign of the growing power of the streamers, though, Hulu and Amazon both have more nominations than ever. Hulu with 27, thanks to its hit Handmaid's Tale, which got 20 nominations, and Amazon has 22 nominations. Now, though HBO lost its top spot going into the award show, it's Game of Thrones still has more nominations than any other single show, 22, 
followed by another HBO show, Westworld, which has 21 tied with NBC's Saturday Night Live. Now, the outcome of tonight's awards for Netflix, Hulu, and Amazon could be a powerful indicator of whether these companies' massive investments in original content can earn them the critical acclaim of the longtime leader at the Emmys, HBO, which is now newly owned by AT&T. Now, Netflix shares hit an all-time high back in March after it won its first Oscar for a feature-length film for its documentary, Icarus. Right now, Netflix is drawing accolades out of the Toronto International Film Festival for its feature film, Roma, already drawing some talk of Oscar buzz for Best Picture. But there's still questions of whether the Academy is re ready to give Netflix that kind of critical acclaim and what kind of qualifying run in theaters Netflix will give that film. So, Scott, certainly a fascinating time to watch these streamers compete with the traditional entertainment giants. Yeah, that's going to be really interesting to see. Julia, thank you very much. Let's trade Netflix. Is it going to move as a result of what happens at the Emmys? It used to. I mean, you know, if you think about the early days of where this company had to prove itself in the content space, they certainly did. I've been very critical of Netflix and, and largely wrong. I, I also believe that a lot of the content that they've created and they're up for Emmys, um, I think is, I call it cyborg content. I think they're able to crank it out and it's basically based upon data that they know people are going to watch. Having said that, they're the only ones that can create stuff that quickly, and it seems to be working, so maybe I'm wrong. And it, it appears that they're uh, having a seat at the big boy table at this point, where at first it was sort of a fluke that they won or something that was out of their element, and now they're really oh, in they're there. Oh, they're firmly at the big they're, boy they're table. Fir they're firmly in there. So I think it's their game to lose. It's up 83% year-to-date, and it seems to be being bought on dips. Well, what, about so this, what, what, about, what about the pullback in tech, right? It's, it's caught up in that. Not that you think of tariffs that have anything to do with a Netflix, for example. It could, be, it could be caught up in that. It is caught up in that. But I think ultimately when people look at growth versus value, when you go out another couple of months, people are not going to be satisfied with a cat tractor that's up or down 7%. They want a Netflix that's up 83% year to date. That's where you outperform the market. Don't you think, though, that the stock is really going to react to whatever the, la the next earnings are? The last earnings were, you know, a huge miss. Regardless of how they do tonight, and I love some of their shows, don't you think it's about... Sub growth. Sub growth. Yes. Sure, Which sure. Which is related, of course, but as the most important metric to this stock. Without question, but we're talking about a myopic view on the stock based on the Emmys. And when, if they come away with, with a boat full of Emmys, you should see a pop in the stock. Okay. Options traders are betting on a big bounce for Netflix this week. Let's go to Mike Coe out in San Francisco to break it all down for us. Hey, Mike. Hi there. Yeah, so the options markets have generally been pretty optimistic about Netflix. That was true again today. We saw a call volume outpacing put volume by about two to one. The most active options were the September 370 calls. Those expire at the end of the week. Over 15,000 of those traded for just over two bucks. So those are bullish bets. The stock could be as much as 5% higher by the end of the week. And speaking to Karen's point about earnings, what we're seeing from the options market is actually a smaller than average expected move which are out of earnings, which are going to be reporting uh, expiration week in October. So it seems like right now the options markets are sort of following the idea that creating content that's must-see television is going to be bullish for subscriber growth as well. Mm -hmm. Mikey, thank you. For more options action, check out the full show Friday, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. My favorite show. Yeah, I DVR oh, yeah, that sucker every. It's a, I get home, I put on nice my pajamas, job on it, have a hot chocolate, and I watch all way. It's amazing. You yeah. sit at the big boy table. Oh, <laughs> you? When? And anytime. <laughs> really? Just asking. All right, we'll do final trades next.
Welcome back. I want to show you another big tech stock that got hammered pretty good today. It is Amazon. Worst day in several months. Maybe part of it due to the overall pullback in tech. But I, what do you guys think of that note today that was out from Mark May of Citi talking about the prospects of why Amazon should break up, split the company Elizabeth into, into Core and AWS? Elizabeth Warren wants to split them up. I'm sure a bunch of Republicans would love to split them up as well. But when you look at the stock, I don't think it's a great value proposition for Amazon. Amazon wants to take from one give to the other, supply their growth chain, and play the shell game whenever it's time to report earnings. Wow. So I don't, I don't think this, this day will come for the politicians or for Amazon. I don't think you'll see it be broken. There, there is sort of the if it ain't broke, don't fix it model. You know, the analysts laid out eight reasons why they should do it, five why they shouldn't. Well, uh, but it's something to kick around. I, it, and that's the, I think that's the point. I think people need to think about a company like Amazon, who certainly could have a bullseye on their back in many different ways, that, yeah, there are other risks they're not factoring in. All right. Okay, now for the results. Guy Adami oh. got slaughtered oh, so bad <laughs> on his fast pitch Twitter poll. We're keeping Tony Braxton on the show. It would just really? be too embarrassing for you to play it. Oh, just Celine. be too bad. Thank you, Guy, for that. Appreciate that. We've pulled Thanks, out Celine Bounce. instead. She should never. Well, I, I, I'm sure there's Celine Dion fans. I, I won't say anything derogatory. Oh. I have all her work. She's the best. <laughs> that was and believable. she has all of yours. I'm sure. All right, let's do final trades, Timmy. At multinationals, Philip Morris, watch them in cannabis. Care. FedEx. I think it was overdone here on the sell-off. Grassu. GE. Guy. Kroger. All right, does it for us. We'll see you tomorrow night, 5 p.m. Don't go anywhere. Mad Money with Kramer begins now.